Hello everyone, welcome back to Dreams and Screams the Podcast. We're your hosts, as always, Tammy and Ashley. We're on episode 6 already, I'm very excited. Ashley's going to tell us her story this week, so I'm just going to sit back. Yeah, put your feet take, up. Yeah, put my feet up, I'm going to have a sip of my iced coffee, take it away. Alright, I'm also not going to tell you the name of the story or the, the case just yet. Ooh, I like that. But... Keep me guessing, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Always. With you, I have to. (laughs) Um, So I came across this one actually in a different manner than normal. I was scrolling for far too long on Netflix. We've all done it. As you do. Yeah. You you end up scrolling and scrolling and you either end up on your phone or you, (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Most of the time you're like, how did I end up on Instagram? Yeah, Um, and then it's been like an hour, and you're like, what the fuck? Or you end up watching the same damn show or movie that you've already seen. Oh, my God. Like five times, you know? Relatable. What's your fallback show? Okay, so right now, we restarted watching Supernatural. Oh. Again. Okay. Love me some Sam and Dean. Have you watched Supernatural? So... When it was out, I really wanted to watch it. And I just, I don't remember if it was like my my life at the time. It never lined up. So I was like, I'll watch it later. I'll get into it later. And I just never did. It's like one of those things where like, I watched The Vampire Diaries. Is that the show what it's called? For the first <laughs> yeah. time, like a couple years ago, even though they came out a bajillion years ago. Yeah, I actually never watched Vampire Diaries. So, no, all. I've actually never watched Oh God, it's so good. It's like... Kind of corny and cheesy, and at the same time, incredibly good. Yeah. Well, and like eye candy of the time. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know. Okay, I'll have to add that to the list. Yeah, you have to watch some Supernatural. What about you? For me, I'm like a total nostalgia junkie, you know? So my go-tos are always like friends. Okay. Of course, yeah. I'm a typical millennial, and friends has grown with me through every stage of my life, like high school, college, you're going through different things too. So you like relate in different ways. And then now I think it's just my comfort show. Yeah, you can have it on the background and do your thing. I don't even have to be looking at it. And like Joey says something and I'm cracking up cooking tacos in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh, um, Joey doesn't share food. And yeah, exactly what it is. Raspberry coolie. And he thought it was a monkey, you know, (laughs) but I'm also currently like, Started at the beginning of Boy Meets World again. Oh, wow. That's a major throwback. (laughs) I mean, Feeny forever. A hundred percent. You know. I should probably watch Boy Meets World again. Gosh, I I just cry every time because there is so much knowledge and just wisdom and like (laughs) life skills in Boy Meets World that I'm like, kids shows today. Maybe it wasn't a kid show. Okay. But I'm like, I learned some serious like life lessons from Feeny. Yeah, and that's true. And from these, true. like, friendships. And I was like, every time I watch it, I cry. I guess I didn't, you wouldn't really notice it the first time around watching it because you are young. Yeah, you're also a kid. So you're focused on the other things. Yeah. You know, that, like, Sean's sneaking in the window and he's running away from home. You know, you're not focused on, like, this life lesson about how life moves really fast and you need to slow down or else you're going to miss it. Yeah. And here I am as an adult. Oh, my God, that's Full so deep. crying, you know, like... <laughs> life's a speed trap 
I'm going to plug that episode in the comments somewhere to you guys because that one got me right oh in the God. heart. I yeah. need to rewatch it now. I feel yeah. like I need to get all this wisdom from Boy Meets World again. Meanwhile, I'm rewatching Supernatural and Project Runway at the same time every oh. single season. Project Runway. Yeah, that's some of those episodes did not age well. I can imagine. Yes. Because I all I have to do is close my eyes and... I feel like I can visualize. Yes, but it. I still started watching it from season one. I'm sure there are some. Like, There's some good ones. Also, the fashion of the 2000s. <laughs> R.I.P. to all of us because, you know, if I see one more tunic over leggings, I'm gonna scream. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Go on. Uh, amazing. Drop us some uh, show suggestions in the comments. Yeah, what is your millennial nostalgic show? Yeah, your go-to. For our millennial listeners. You know, nothing else is on, nothing good, new anyway. What do you fall back on? We want to know. Yeah, I have my iPad on with like a show all day long as I'm working. So I'm in the studio making candles, doing things, and I always have to have something on. I feel like I am constantly running out of things to watch. So yeah, I'm done for anything. I'm going to start watching Vampire Diaries. Who knows? Yeah, I can't say I hated it. It's cheese. Mm, that's okay. Sometimes. But yeah. close your eyes and pretend you're back no, in high school. No, judgment-free zone. You know, it's Oh my God, you know what show just came to mind? And I'm like, oh God, how did I watch that when I was a young kid? Degrassi. Fuck. <laughs> Jimmy and shit. Oh, like fucking Drake way Drake. back in his Jimmy yeah. days. Yeah. If you were not part of the OG Degrassi days, oh you should God. go look that up for sure. That show was troubling. Yeah. Wow. Good old Anywho. Jimmy. So what you really came here for, we know, is the story. So let me get started. I was scrolling and something stopped me in my tracks, like immediately when I read the title. It released last summer and it's a three-part docuseries called I Just Killed My Dad. It's directed by Sky Borgman, who has some other big name true crime films on Netflix I'll call out obvious spoiler alert in the sense that I'm going to talk about a lot of things they talk about in the true crime docuseries. I definitely still recommend you watch it if you're interested and want to hear some of the accounts and interviews firsthand. But just FYI, in case you want to watch it first and then come back here and listen, or if you just want to hear our account first and then go watch it. Either way, it's fine with us. I mean, I'm still going to watch it. Again, you can hear what they say firsthand. Can't fit a three-part docuseries in this into a, a thirty-minute 30 minute podcast. Yeah. yeah, but I um I am surprised. I've watched so much true crime stuff on Netflix, but never have come across that one. Yeah, it was even like I wasn't in the true crime like, like section section or anything. It just came up as yeah. I don't know. It just was like maybe meant to be. I was just yeah, scrolling. Well, tell us about right it right there. Okay, I will cite my other sources at the end, of course. So it's June third. 2019, we're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Anthony Templay, who was just 17 years old at the time, at around 3.15 a.m., he made a call to 911 to report that his father, Bert Templay, 53, had been shot and that he killed his father at their home. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm already like, what the fuck? Buckle up. Okay. He says this in a calm, matter-of-fact way to the operator. In the recordings, you actually hear him blankly say, I, uh, just killed my dad. And then he says, what do you need me to tell you? Oh my god, just straight to the point. Yeah. The operator and him go back and forth a little bit. 
she asks him, of course, is he still alive? To which Anthony says, I don't know. He explains further to the 911 operator that Bert, his father, had tried to attack him. They got into a fist fight and then Anthony ran into his father's bedroom, closed the door, got two loaded guns, both of which were his father's. He goes on that, again, he's saying all this to the 911 operator. Mm -hmm. He goes on, he unlocked the door and Bert tried to, it kind of trails off him saying something inaudible so you can't really tell what he says. But then he says, and then I shot him. I just killed my dad. I shot him three times. Oh my God. All of this comes after an early morning altercation with his father. Bert had allegedly been drunk and very aggressive. And Anthony, from his perspective, had shot him to defend himself. The attack supposedly started because Anthony and Bert had been arguing about Bert going through Anthony's phone in the middle of the night. Interesting. It's going to keep getting interesting. (laughs) I'm like, okay, tell me more. Bert was unhappy over an alleged phone call that Anthony had had with Bert's ex-wife and Anthony's stepmother, Susan. A quick note about Susan, and then I'll get to her more later. For reference, Susan and Bert met in 2008. Um, They had met at a bar. Susan had said she had just gotten divorced. You know, you meet a new person, you hit it off. Things start moving really quickly. Mm -hmm. They moved in together, and then they get married. This was her second marriage. She also has a son, similar age to Anthony. Susan and Bert later separated. Her and her son had moved out and left Anthony at the home with his father. The reason I say all this is to give you context that this was about six months earlier. Okay, so six months after Susan and her son moved moved out, they have this kind of blowout. Got it. So again, we'll touch more on her later, but I just just want to frame that up. So when the police search the house, they do find Bert as expected, but... He's still breathing. He's still alive. Oh, he's alive. Yeah. However, four days later, he was ultimately taken off of life support and died. He had sustained gunshot wounds to his head and torso. The three shots total. Okay. Police said they could not find any evidence of a struggle and no evident markings or bruising on Anthony. The house was oddly tidy and clean. Only a crack in the bedroom door that was clearly made by the altercation. So much so as like not even a dish in the sink type of tidy. How close in range did he shoot him? I'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) we always do this. (laughs) I'm just getting ahead. Close. Okay. But according to Anthony, there was a tussle, there's fight, there's aggression, but the house is clean. Yeah, you would expect things like thrown about. Yeah, a chair knocked over, glass on the floor. You're telling me you didn't pick up a vase and toss like it? Like things you know. knocked over. Yeah, at least if, even if it was like accidental, you knock something over. Yes, exactly. So all of this seemed really off. Not what you're typically going to find in a crime scene situation, especially with this version of the story from Anthony. In the documentary, there's an interview with the DA and she kind of recounts hearing the 911 call and being disturbed by Anthony's tone, calling out how flat he is, matter of fact, and really no emotion coming through. The sergeant also explains that the neighborhood the call came from, this just isn't the kind of neighborhood that you expect this kind of thing to happen. Not that they're saying there is a specific kind of place these things happen, but this is a family neighborhood. Just like a quiet neighborhood where this stuff doesn't normally occur. Right. It is important to note, though, that Anthony was compliant during the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But he was not emotional and he was not crying when they arrived or when they arrested him. Hmm. Yes. 
something's off. They continue to say that that's not typically just what you'd see when somebody admits to murder. Yeah, I feel like you would expect someone to be kind of falling apart if they had to defend themselves. Yeah. And it leads to like, no empathy, just straightforward. So the police were having a quite a hard time placing this information. On one hand, you have a son who's accounting stories of abuse and basically neglect from his father. But then you have the facts straight from his own mouth that he pulled two loaded guns, which in theory shows intent and the fact of what they saw visually with their own eyes at the crime scene. So none of it's really lining up. Yeah, and I mean, two guns, like, he meant business. Yeah, I'll get to more details around that in a second. To the detective, his point of view was, like, you have a tumultuous relationship with your father. He calls you names. He kind of degrades you. Understood. That's not right. He's abusive. But does that warrant, do you jump straight to murder? Right. Anthony does say the reason he pulled the two guns was in case one misfired. He apparently even testified that he chased his father into a nearby bathroom before firing the shot. So to your question earlier, he was in the same room. I don't know the size of the bathroom, but... They were close range. Close enough, yeah. This also, in theory, contradicts the idea that this was the only way. If you were able to chase him into a room and shoot him, if he was coming after you, you could have also fled. At this point, they're thinking they might be dealing with a potential sociopath. Mm-hmm. The answers in the interview room, all the blunt details, his mannerisms, everything just points to murder. And news sources allegedly at the time kind of dismiss it as just a regular, usual murder in the state of Louisiana. Based on all of the evidence, Anthony is arrested and originally charged with second degree murder. Later upgraded to manslaughter once pathology from his father's body rules the death of homicide. But it does beg the question. Could it all be that straightforward or was there more to the story? News broke locally and of course reporters started going wild, getting involved. What was weird was that almost no neighbors in his relatively small southern neighborhood, no one wanted to speak about the case. And they really didn't know Temple or his father, Bert Temple. They said that his father hadn't made any impression, wasn't well known in the community. Hmm. No one really spoke to them. They did note that he was usually off and often visibly drunk, the father. Okay. Alcohol abuse involved. Mm -hmm. But even the close neighbors didn't really know anything about Anthony. They didn't know how old he was. Didn't have much to say. Oh, weird. So again, he's not a kid that's playing in the neighborhood, which... That's kind of strange, you know? Yeah. Especially if you live in a small town or neighborhood. Yeah, usually you would at least be like, oh, so-and-so has a kid. They're about 10. You know, like, it's like you might not know exactly, but. Right. Or these neighbors, their boys get together. These girls over here are always riding their bikes or something. Yeah. Or maybe that's an antiquated view of childhood and growing up. But I don't know. I mean, I rode my bike with all the kids around me all the time. But, like, you'd think small town, small neighborhood. Yeah. You generally know. Who's who? Extended family of Susan, again, the ex-wife and stepmother, also didn't have any idea of any issues between Bert or Anthony. In some of the interviews, they had said Bert gave Anthony everything he wanted. So they were very unclear how it got to this point. Interesting. But as we dive deeper into this case, we continue to learn that the picture was really blurry. 
Anthony had, in fact, suffered years of abuse and scrutiny at the hands of his father. Susan and her son explain their life becoming a little more uptight in certain ways when they moved in the home. The son said, we didn't joke as much. We weren't as open. Hmm. They mentioned that Anthony, when he was around his dad, he was not himself. The word like recoiled, kind of just like turned inward. So more of like a strict household. Mm -hmm. And because of this, Anthony spent a lot of time just in his bedroom. Susan claimed to even grow concerned about Anthony and his behavior because she said at some point she couldn't really tell his emotions. So there was a level of fear from her perspective, I guess, because he was kind of recoiled and kept himself. So she was like kind of scared of him. I think she got like weird vibes, maybe. Okay. Like something's off. Yeah, like I can't pinpoint what it is, but something's off. Yeah. While Susan does acknowledge the relationship between Anthony and Bert being less than ideal, she does seem very distraught in the interviews over Bert's death and the situation. She spoke really highly of their relationship as a couple, all the material things that they had. She made point to say that. And him being a man with a high paying job. So just money. Yeah, it seems like we had everything we needed and more. I did read from some sources, though, that there was a potential protection order against Bert after their separation. So I, just being honest, that didn't really line up for me. Like, Yeah, that seems odd. It seemed odd, yeah. But it is still her husband, and I guess at this point she's like, he was wrongfully murdered. Susan's relatives noted Anthony to be quiet, kept himself, total shock. But the thing you always hear is like, Maybe behind closed doors, it wasn't what it seemed. That's what they always say. Yep. Anthony told investigators that his father would beat him for hours and psychologically torment him by controlling his every movement, tracking his whereabouts, and installing cameras throughout their home. In addition to mobile tracking him, like his own oh cell phone. That's a bit much. Yeah, a lot. Everywhere he went. And when I say cameras everywhere, apparently the only exception was the primary bedroom, Bert's bedroom. What about the bathroom? I read every room except for the primary. So Is that also illegal in your home? Because I know obviously that's illegal in public spaces. I don't know. It's your property. We'll look into it. Do you, does anybody that's know? That's wild. Yeah. All of this was under the guise of protection for his family. Hmm. Video surveillance of the outside, doors coming in the house. You could see their backyard, their patio. He knew what was going on at any point in time. For investigators, things start to become a little more clear when, you know, they're still interrogating Anthony. They're still asking him questions. There comes a point where Anthony, they ask him some things and he doesn't have the knowledge that an average 17-year-old should have. What do you mean? For example, he didn't know his own birthday. Yeah. He was kind of like, uh, I think it's this day, this year. I can't really remember. That's weird. And then his address, again, he rambles off some numbers, but he's like, I don't really know. Oh my God. So don't, you don't know your own birthday and you don't know your address. Yeah, that's basics. You learn that when you're like three. Something's a little suspicious. Mm -hmm. At the same time, with that in mind, a supervisor of Anthony from a job that he held, made in on the same point, saying that he just didn't have the social skills you would expect, but she did know that he grew up homeschooled, so she thought maybe that was some of the reasoning. Mm, Like not a lot of social interaction or something. Right. Those are skills that you have to learn as, you know, a kid or even as an adult. But for example, 
So much so as like he didn't understand or know what it meant when she, he did a good job at something and she was like up top, like a high five. Yeah, and he was like what, like a high five, and he what? Oh, that's a weird thing to like. I guess you never really know when you learn it, but like it's so innate to all of us. I guess. Yeah. She remembers looking back on job applications and kind of starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. She realizes. Bert actually filled out the applications and he lied about the homeschooling where it said education. The wording was like Kaplan prep, which Kaplan prep, it's not a homeschool. It's a service or whatever. It's where you get the tests from supposedly. Again, I'm not homeschooled. I don't know anybody that is homeschooled. I don't know much about it, but I assume you need to acquire learning materials and testing some like standardized things. And that's kind of what she explained. Mm -hmm. But it's not actually any proof that he was homeschooled. So this is where she's like, something else is going on here. None of this makes sense. And who is this person? She was like his supervisor at the job, at his job when he was a teenager. He worked at like, I think it was like a nursery, gardening nursery. Got it. Okay. I believe. If I quoted that wrong, you know. Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Forgive me. So she reaches out to a woman named Shayna Landry. Shayna is a DNA researcher. She's like, something's not adding up. I'm hoping you can help. And really, the key here was, we need to find his mom. Where is his biological mother? Yeah, where is his mom? Which, if you hadn't asked that question yet, when I was watching it, I was so just kind of jaw-dropping at everything they were saying. But then when she asked that question, I'm like, you're right. Where's this kid's mom? Yeah, like, what happened to her? From here, Shayna kind of takes this case on. Shayna has a hard time at first because basically she says since he was a minor, there was a lot of hurdles she had to jump through. The facility that he was at didn't grant her a DNA test and information wasn't necessarily public. So there were just some things she couldn't connect like she normally would when she right. was doing this kind of investigation. So she shifted her gaze and her angle and kind of honed in on Bert. And from there, she finds a bunch of assault charges against Bert. Assault? Yeah. One being the year Anthony was born in the state of Texas. She continues to do what she does and she's sifting through names and people in connection with Bert. And this leads her to a young woman named Natasha. From there, she contacts Natasha through Facebook and we come to find out that Natasha is in fact Anthony's sister. Natasha and her mother connect back with Shayna and begin to tell and bring to life the complex and dark series of events that build up to the homicide. Oh my god. Yeah. She reveals that this is the part where it's like, if you're not sure where this is going, my heart was like falling out of my bum at this point. She reveals that Anthony was in fact a missing person for the last 10 or 11 years. Holy fuck. Leading up to his father's murder. The missing person's poster makes its way to the media and we learn that he was kidnapped from his home in Texas in 2008 at the age of five by none other than his father, Bert. So he was his biological father. Yes, it is his father and he is at the home, takes Anthony. Never returns. And never returns. Oh my God. So Anthony's biological mother, Teresa, and the family, his sister, Natasha, they're putting up these missing posters everywhere with no leads. The picture of the missing poster was a photo of him as a child, obviously. And there's also a picture of Bert on there. 
So they knew it was him. So they knew it was Bert. But the thing was, he fled the state. So, you know, I don't know all the laws. I'm never going to claim to know all the laws. Yeah, but cross state is definitely tricky. Nothing really ever came from that missing poster. Oh my God. His mother said she didn't know where he took him. She didn't know where to look. But Bert was still using his real name, right? As far as I know, Bert was still using all of his information. Wow. But as I mentioned before, he was quote unquote homeschooled, which we know wasn't happening. And nobody in the community knew them. Yes, yeah, so he never so registered he was him really anywhere. really keeping him under wraps. Mm-hmm. She had no idea where to look for him, but she says that she hoped when he got older, someday he would be on the internet and maybe on Facebook and find her. It was oh like my her God, one last hope. Oh my God, that's so sad. Yeah, so hoping that someday they could reconnect. Oh, this next part like really just broke my heart. So Teresa, apparently she carried around that missing poster in her purse for the entire 11 years. Just really hoping that somebody would have information and holding on to the idea that she would find him. So her full name, Teresa Thompson. I'm going to give you a little background. She met Bert when she was a waitress at a diner in Inglewood, Texas. Bert and Teresa moved to Houston in 2000 in hopes of a bigger and better life. Bert had just gotten a great job opportunity. They were looking forward to taking the next step. After they moved to Houston was when she started seeing Bert at his worst and really started to see some red flags. She calls his behaviors erratic and makes note that he was very demanding. She realizes that he was involved with drugs like cocaine, which explains some of the erratic behaviors. Right. And her family even accounts that she was pulling away from them. So Bert is the manipulator here, separating her actually. Yeah, master manipulator. From her family. He wants to control her, much like as we mentioned before. He controlled Anthony. Yep. Bert physically abused her. And unfortunately, she, like many other domestic abuse victims, continues to stay. As it happens. Yeah. Looking back, she says that she wasn't really sure why she stayed. Probably out of fear or like many other abuse victims. It was just so often that was her normal. She told herself that these are normal things. Sadly, that happens way too often. Mm-hmm. She does say that she was abused as a child as well. Her mother, additionally, Anthony's grandmother, biological grandmother, also says that she was abused as a child. So we're talking just a cycle, like yeah. generationally of abuse, which is super sad. And just hard to get out of. It's really yeah. hard to break that cycle for yourself. And especially if you've been seeing it and exposed to it for generations. Yes. Yeah. Seeing your mother, well, not seeing your mother, but knowing your mother went through it, then you go through it as a child, and then you go through it as an adult. Yeah, it like becomes like the norm almost, which is just really, really sad. Later, she becomes pregnant with Anthony. This was like a couple years into their relationship. It wasn't a planned thing. His sister Natasha says that Bert and my mom were together for about 10 years, and it was extremely violent. Oh my god, that's a long time. She added, I can only imagine what Anthony went through. She recalls memories. When Anthony was a baby, Bert would hold him in his arms while he abused my mother. And he even assaulted her while she was pregnant. So if you remember, there was that assault charge the year Anthony was born. Yeah. We learned that Bert did go to jail while living in Houston for around six months on the assault charge. The report showed second offender domestic assault she details another story where Bert allegedly hired a friend to kill her 
What the fuck? Yeah. But the friend comes to the house frantic and says, you need to leave immediately. So she's grabbing some things like, okay, I gotta get the clothes. I gotta get Anthony's things. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like you need to leave now. He's on his way here and he's tasked me to like, you need to just get out of here. This is also wild. Apparently she used to leave notes around the house saying things like, if I'm dead, Bert killed me. Oh my God. Her mother said like she would find these notes in like the oven, like obscure places, you know. Yeah, where he wouldn't find them. Yeah, if I'm dead, Bert killed me. That's beyond. There was even a custody hearing in which Bert claimed Teresa was an unfit parent and somehow persuaded the judge that he deserved sole custody, hiding somehow the information of being arrested and abusing her while she was pregnant. What? How does that happen? I'm like, is this just some small town shit? I don't know. What the fuck? So after kidnapping Anthony, as we know, he isolated him, intentionally never sent him to school. So he had little contact with the outside world and he couldn't be tracked or linked to the kidnapping. So yes, maybe he's still using his name, but there's no trace of any of this. Yeah, how would they even track him down? Anthony grew up falsely convinced that his mother was a drug addict and she wanted nothing to do with him. Oh my God, this poor kid. Susan, the ex-wife, says that Bert even told her Teresa was dead. His first wife was dead. She opens up about teaching Anthony to read and write. Again, for reference, she moved into the house when Anthony was about seven and says he only learned to write the alphabet at the age of 10. Oh my God. This was super sad. In looking back on these things, Anthony quotes, it's easier to control a dumb person than a smart person, right? Realizing that all this time his dad had kept him from things like public school and all the other things the kids were allowed to do, the other kids, to control him and keep him hidden, hidden, to keep him not asking questions. Yeah. So sad. You know, just to keep him under his thumb. Yeah, he truly wanted to manipulate him and keep him hidden from the world. He didn't want to get found out. Yeah. And intentionally just not even give your child any education or any opportunity to learn and grow and have a normal childhood like you wanted to carry out this whole plan but you just you took the kid but then you didn't give him a life that's what i was going to say it's like what's the point what's the point of kidnapping your child and then keeping them prisoner yeah he just liked to control people i guess i don't really know but got his jollies by being a fucking control like what's the fucking point he wasn't allowed to have friends And I read that he wasn't even taken to kids' regular doctor's appointments. So he just spent all the time in that house. Mm -hmm. He was allowed to have a job, like I said, as a teenager. Obviously, he had the stepbrother at some point in time. But everything was being tracked again. He had the mobile tracking on his phone. So when he had his job, there was a moment in the documentary where I wasn't going to mention this earlier because it was, you know, I don't want to give up all the things if you guys do want to watch it. But this one was really interesting where it was like there was a moment where the tracking, the bubble of his phone, like whatever, his location hadn't moved in a while. And Bert calls the boss and says, where's Anthony? Like his thing hasn't moved in a long time. And in fact, it was like he was just shoveling something in the same area for like a couple hours moving Mm -hmm. like, let's say gravel or dirt. He's here. But because it hadn't moved, Bert was suspicious. Oh my God. So like down to like his- The minutia of it all. Yeah. Wow. After all this is exposed, the prosecutor confirms that he had in fact been acting in self-defense after years of abuse. Anthony's lawyer, Jarrett Ambu, said his client had been isolated and regularly abused by his father. The abuse was physical, 
mental, and emotional. Anthony pled not guilty to a second-degree murder in August of 2019. In January, some sources say March of 2021, Anthony's attorney reached a deal with the East Baton Rouge district attorney that would result in zero jail time for Anthony, which was incredible. That's so good. Interesting fact about the lawyer, actually a Louisiana native, he reached out to the family to represent Anthony because he's familiar with the system and the state. He felt called to the case and to dig deeper on Anthony's behalf. He had seen so many stories of just odd things in the system that he couldn't just take it for face value. That's incredible. I love when lawyers take it upon themselves to like do pro bono or whatever. And I know obviously it's going to help their career and everything else, but at the same time, they're doing something incredible. They're helping someone who needs to have a voice. Right. In fact, the next thing I wrote here was his lawyer said, Anthony led a hopeless life. No one got involved to help him until he shot his father. So to your point, he didn't have a voice. And unfortunately, he did this thing, but nobody was looking out for him other than obviously his mother and his family. It just sucks that he literally had to kill his abuser in order to be rescued. But at the same time, in this very specific situation, you know, he just had to take matters into his own hands. So the story, which was first like an open and shut case, really, they were able to sift through the layers and find something that was much more intricate and truly just sad. But what's he doing now? So now he's around 20 and 20 or 21. After his ruling and no contest, he was sentenced to five years supervised probation with credit for the time that he had already served. As part of his sentence, he was given a special condition of obtaining his high school diploma, as well as attending counseling and finding full-time employment or the opportunity for continued education. Oh, that's good. If he meets all of the above requirements, his criminal record will be completely wiped and expunged, according to the DA. Oh my god, I've never been happier to hear those words. His lawyer was obviously extremely happy to deliver this news Mm -hmm. to him. In the documentary, you can kind of even see when he tells him these things, he's kind of like, really? He's not even sure how to absorb the information. So since then, he has kept in contact with his lawyer. The lawyer says Anthony is doing great. He's living a peaceful life. He does work full time and he's finishing his GED. He is being exemplary in his duty to the court and the probation. And he is doing regular counseling when he can manage the time and the resources. Anthony has been trying to rebuild a relationship he lost with his family in Texas. It's proved to be harder to mend than they'd all hoped. His mother, she realized that for Anthony, she didn't really exist. He has very vague memories of their time together. I mean, too much time has passed for sure. And she realized that she couldn't just come back into the picture like no time had elapsed. She says that this is a lot harder than losing him, actually, trying to navigate the like, what now part of the whole thing. But she says, I want to be his friend. It will never be a mother and son relationship. That was the past. Mm -hmm. So she's accepting of whatever relationship comes of it, but she knows it may never get there. Yeah, well, I mean, at least you have your son back. He's no longer being fucking prisoner, basically. Right. One last note. For Anthony, his one goal, he says, is to break the cycle of abuse within his family and avoid becoming anything like his late father. He's finally surrounded by love and support to do just that. Yeah. That's my story. Let me cite some sources. 
So as I mentioned, the documentary on Netflix, I just killed my dad. A USA Today article by Aaron Jensen, a article by Molly Mitchell for Newsweek, an Esquire article by some editors and Laura Martin, Corinne Miller in a Yahoo News report, and a 2023 New Star Education article. Good job. This story was super interesting. Again, the documentary has so much more. Now I have to search for it. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you as always. If you'd like to send us any questions, again, send us some recommendations like we talked about earlier. You can always find us on Instagram at dreamsandscreamspod or email us at dreamsandscreamspod at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Yes, and as always, thank you for the support. Thank you for the love. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It means a lot to us. Share with your friends, your besties. Yes, and we'll see you next time. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.